Welcome to the Leadership Under the Microscope interview series, Plain Talk by Pragmatic Leaders, a production of JR Global. Today, we continue our series of interviews with innovative leaders from around the world. Here is your host, J.R. Klein. Today, our guest is Dr. Greg Bixler, co-founder and CEO of Design Outreach. Greg teaches engineering at The Ohio State University. He started his engineering career at Battelle, a private nonprofit applied science and technology uh, development company where he managed an interdisciplinary team of engineers working on various uh, R&D programs. After seeing extreme poverty in Central Asia, he realized that uh, there was a potential for using his engineering talents to impact these distressed areas. Dr. Bixler came up with the idea of design outreach in 2007 and co-founded his social impact organization to use engineering to address barriers that drive people to poverty. Uh, Dr. Bixter, uh, we um, welcome you to today's program. Thank you. Good to be here today. The poor has been a constant throughout human existence. We've come up with various nomenclatures to soothe our conscience, but the system, whether economic, cultural, or political, have continued to create barriers to access, resulting in a portion of our population relegated to an existence of alienation. Over the last 10 years, you have been involved in an initiative that strives to find some basic, simple solutions to some of these challenges. Dr. Bixler, this is an intriguing approach to systemic change, and we're interested in your story, where you've been, how you ended up here, and what are your current passions? Yeah, thank you, Jim. It's been quite an amazing journey getting to where we are today, and it's, it's really exciting. It started about uh, just over 10 years ago. I went on a short-term missions trip to a country in Central Asia, and the trip had nothing to do about engineering, but I was working as a young engineer at, at a company that, that did research and development work in Columbus. And I went on this trip and I realized for the first time how the rest of the world lives and, and what extreme poverty looks like. And I also noticed how people were using what they had available to them locally to build what they needed. They're being very resourceful, very creative. And uh, the thought came to mind, what would happen if, if so-called trained engineers could come alongside people that are in desperate poverty but are very creative and innovative and, and help productize and help scale their ideas that others may benefit? And this idea came to my mind and, and it was something that got me very excited. And, and I came back to my office in Ohio and, and I was giving a brown bag presentation about the trip to a number of my colleagues. And I kind of mentioned this idea of what would happen if, if we could apply our, our research and development, engineering, problem solving, scientific skills to problems that are facing hundreds of millions of people in our world today. And right away, I got a lot of interest. I got a lot of people who said, yeah, I don't want to be part of that. They, they weren't ready to quit their day jobs, but they were ready to, to volunteer and give up their lunch hours or weekends, their evenings, even vacation time. 
And right around that time, we started talking to an organization, uh, an NGO in Central African Republic. And, and we asked them, what are, the, what are the biggest problems that you're facing? Uh, just thinking in, in the back of our minds that we're engineers, we can, we can solve problems, we can do anything. And right away, they, they started telling us about water pumps and how water pumps, they only last like six months and then they need repairs and there's no stores around to get the parts and the labor is not available. So driving to these communities is very difficult and it's very expensive. And so there's, there's lots and lots of broken pumps that no one can fix. And they also told us about how water pumps are often not deep enough. So the water actually runs dry during the, the dry season. And I had never been to Africa at this point in my life. And, and this was all news to me. I'd never heard of these things. And I, and I thought in the back of my mind, how is it that 50 years ago, we sent a man to the moon and yet today, hundreds of millions of people who are depending on water pumps can't have a reliable source of water. And so this, this took us down this incredible journey that, that we later called Design Outreach. And we incorporated as a, as a nonprofit about six years ago. And there's just been exponential growth where we developed a, a new product, a hand pump called the Life Pump. And the Life Pump is, is designed to solve the reliability issues of hand pumps as well as the depth capacity. And in 2013, we started piloting with the NGO World Vision in five countries in Africa. And, and that's really where it all started. It was a group of volunteers who said, we want to change the world. And we didn't have any money. So only thing we could do is ask people to volunteer and, and to donate. And it was amazing just how people poured into this and, and got us to where we are. And today... We have thousands of people who are getting water for the first time because of the life pump. And, and our vision has always been to create technologies that help transform lives physically, economically, and spiritually. As we know that there's a world of hurt and a lot of people need technology to help solve major problems. And, and that's where design outreach comes in. Driven leaders are always positioning toward better performance, whether in efficiencies or effectiveness. We would like to think it is as easy as pushing an easy button and everything will work out the way it should. Reality shows us that it doesn't uh, work like that. What do you find to be some of your biggest barriers and challenges in your leadership? Yeah, as I tell people often, if it were easy, someone else would have already done it. And Yet this problem of, of access to safe water still affects almost 800 million people today. And those are lives that could be transformed if, if it were just for a simple, better technology in most cases. But there are tremendous barriers and, and challenges to why this is. And one of the biggest competitors is the status quo and overcoming just the way that people think. And so applying leadership in, in a way that, that changes the status quo from first developing technology that solves the problem and, and fixes the problem. And, and often I'm, I'm interfacing with engineering teams as an engineer myself, that's, that's a common language we have in, in solving the technological challenges and creating appropriate technology that's, that's human-centered, that, that ties in voice to the customer. But then we have, we have supporters, we have donors who help pay for the technology, the hardware development, the, the flights, keeping the lights on and, and keeping the, the, the R&D going and the pilot programs. 
And so that's another message. And, and as we learn how to interface and, and talk with our donors who support this mission and allow us to be successful as we are. And then, of course, we have the NGO partners, the non-governmental organizations that we work closely with, and the government partners, the, the ministries of water and infrastructure, where they have different objectives and different interests and, and, and learning how to interface with them and inspire them to change the status quo, to raise the, the bar to a, way, to a place where people can have access to water year-round 100% of the time which is revolutionary. And, and that all comes back to changing the status quo. And, and the status quo is something that is too low. And, and as we apply our, our, our thought process and our, and our know-how and our influences and resources, we, we work towards changing that through better technology, through advocacy, through educating the donors as well as the NGOs and the governments that there's a better way to do things. That is uh, some insightful stuff. Um, do, you, do you run into any challenges and uh, barriers at the, the local level now? How many, how many uh, countries are you in now? We currently have pumps in eight countries. Uh, we, we, do learn, we, we do run into barriers often where it's a matter of breaking through what's always been done. Yeah. And oftentimes the policies are are set to low. So in other words, going on the status quo theme, the policy is, is that in certain countries, only a certain type of technology can be used, even though that technology can't reach the deeper water. And so as we go forward and advocate, the, the challenge is creating the technology, piloting the technology, understanding how to present the results, because there aren't textbooks written on this. There aren't textbooks written on how to even work within a government in these African countries we operate. And so understanding how to even go through that process and, and how to um, get to the right people and talk to them and, and what results they wanna see, that's been one of our biggest challenges. And, and of course, keeping the fuel going at the same time where uh, most donors who support nonprofit work like ours are, are accustomed to seeing projects and results. And, and the project might be a pump and, and kids getting water and, and that makes people feel good. Um, but the reality behind many of those pictures are that pump's not functioning after six months. And we've said, we're not just gonna put pumps in, but we're going to create better technology, pilot that, prove it, take it to the international stage and, and show that we can revolutionize the way things are done. And this is really entrepreneurialism. This is, this is social entrepreneurialism connected with humanitarian aid and it's it's a challenge because a lot of times we have to educate our donors who are used to thinking that for a certain amount of money that they can help people and then the reality is in many cases it's not actually helping it's just creating a bigger problem or putting a band-aid on a huge problem that really needs surgery this is interesting it goes to the the heart of the problem of changing systems, not addressing the symptoms. Life tends to teach us lessons, whether subtle or overt. What are some of the lessons that you've learned? There's been many lessons and we're continuing to learn. It's, uh, it's, it's the old adage, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, and we continue learning that the hard way sometimes. 
and, and continually to improve and become more effective and more efficient and pray a lot because a lot of these things are just out of our control. But as we think about the, the lessons learned, number one is to never give up. There's always barriers. There's always challenges. There's always things that, that get in our way that, that are discouraging at times, but persevering and never giving up. And, and we've seen this and, and we've seen the fruit of this come about as, as we've been working, especially with our NGO and our government partners who have had false promises made to them in the past. And, and people come in, companies promising the world, promising that they have a better mousetrap, a better way of doing things, and, and they don't persevere, they don't continue. And, and then they, they lose um, or, or they become discouraged that it's not a long-term solution. So it never goes anywhere, but instead design outreach has continued to come back, continue to revisit, continue to provide excellent quality and, and, and the results that we, that we say up front and prove ourselves to be right. And I think that's been really important for us. Another lesson that I learned a long time ago when, when I was a young engineer at Patel was we can't be perfect, but what we can control is how we react to problems. And and as we've run into challenges or barriers within design outreach, we, we learn that it's not that we're going to hit the nail on the head every time, but that we can learn from our mistakes and continue to go back and fix it and, and get better. So even as the life pump program and now in other technologies that we're developing, we've, we, we've developed a system where we get very, very close. We do our own pilot testing. We, we do our own lab testing in our facilities here in Ohio. And then we take it to the field and, and we keep a very close eye on things so that we can learn and we can reiterate and we can continue fixing and, and, and getting better. And it's that continual improvement process that has, has been very important for us and, and a lesson that we learned that, that we can't treat communities as um, a test bed, but treat them with, with respect and dignity as we would ourselves. And, and, as we see different practices in the world and, and community development, there's been books written on these things, lots of conferences we've been to and presented at. There's the old way of thinking and then there's the new way of thinking and people um, kind of fall into one of two camps. And, and often the, the lesson is, is to keep up with the current thought process to not remake the same mistakes that people have been doing for the last two or three decades. And, and to create real sustainable solutions that truly work for people and, and are appropriate for them. Um, and so that's been one, one of our biggest lessons by far is changing the status quo is no easy job. The status quo is deeply rooted. And, and in fact, as, as we think of the status quo in, in a place like America, it used to be that women couldn't vote. It used to be that people could own people. And yet it took a lot of perseverance, a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to change the status quo, to change that. And, and that's been something that we've learned is to make real big, long-lasting, impactful change. It's going to be very difficult, but it's still worth it. Getting to where we want to be has a lot to do with the road that we take. Tell us a little about your approach to that. And I, I think that is... Um, a, a big conversation is as you think about the approach that a leader would take. And, and of course, many leaders would say setting 
an example of themselves and, and lead by example. I think that's been a key part, but also is as we work with different people, whether it's a volunteer or a donor or an NGO or government leader, or if it's another company, if it's an organization who's participating with us, a university, a for-profit, it's always finding what they're interested in and trying to connect that to our vision so that that vision that design outreach has set doesn't change, but yet they can plug into that vision and see how they can affect it themselves. And I think it's been really important for us as we find those things that people are passionate about, whether it's a company, a university, um, a partner, nonprofit, that we're helping to fulfill their, their passion to help us and to serve together. Um, as we start with the vision, then, then we connect people with the why. It's the whole Simon Sinek thing where uh, most companies, most organizations know what they do, some know how they do it, but very few communicate well why they do it. And, and so we've, we've worked very hard, uh, me personally, communicating with people about why we do this. What is our motivation? And often that's one of the first questions when I sit down with somebody, whether it's an, a new volunteer, whether it's uh, a partner organization, as, as we get to know them and see if, if we should work together, if we, can, if we can help each other in similar objectives, it's understanding their why. What is their heart? And, and why are they doing it? And, and often that'll lead to whether or not we align on, on areas such as excellence. And, and if we have the same motivation, then we're able to do really great work together. Um, and, and that way we continue reminding people of, of the vision so that whether it's our own staff, whether it's, it's our partners, it's, it's aligning and, and reminding around that vision so that we don't uh, get off course, we don't have mission drift. And, and reminding ourselves and reminding each other that this is the vision, that we have an abundance mentality, that, that it's the vision that we feel has, has been given to us and, and, and there's plenty of resources to, to fulfill this vision and, and not have a scarcity-based mentality, which is um, only looking at the little bit that we have and, and trying to see how we can split up that pie to make do. Because we know that the problems that we're tackling are much, much larger than what we can do alone. And so we have this, this abundance-based mentality as, as we look forward. And, and that's part of the leadership that, that we work to project within our team, within our board of directors, within our staff, within our, our donor base and our partners, that we're here to impact the world. We're not here just to put a Band-Aid on a problem, but we're here to revolutionize the way things are done. Uh, for the sake of the people that we're serving. Uh, that's um, uh, that's uh, not only pragmatic, but, uh, uh, but, but noble. The way that we approach leadership, it has a lot to do uh, with not only how we get there, but where we go. And uh, mm -hmm. um, that's very good. Uh, you, you, you've done some great things. Uh, with this organization. The organization itself has uh, done some very interesting and um, I would say uh, focused impact in that the impact that you're seeing is really the impact that you're planning on. <laughs> what remains to be done in your world? 
what needs to happen to achieve your objectives? Well, our, our longest running pumps have, have actually been the first pumps that were installed. And, and the first pump that was installed was in a village called Zalamondo in Malawi in November 2013. And I've, I've had the privilege of, of visiting this community several times personally. And, and the pump is still running today. And in fact, they haven't had a single day without water ever since that pump was installed. It's been an incredible transformation within that community. Um, that's almost, it's going on six years this year that that pump will be in continuous operation. And, and that's unheard of when it comes to hand pumps, when it comes to the amount of use. We also started piloting about a year ago, a new technology that we helped develop, which is a remote sensor, it's satellite based. And it allows us to see how much the pumps are being used and, and when they're being used. Some of our pumps that we have sensors on are in Haiti, are in Malawi, Zambia, and Kenya. And we're seeing over 14 hours of use per day on some of these pumps. And that's actual handle rotation, which means that somebody's physically turning the handle for 14 hours every day. And, and so the impact is incredible. The amount of use and the number of miles that are going on these pumps is, is incredible. And, and if you had a different technology in there that they're currently using, to get 14 hours of use a day, it would last even less than six months before it need repairs. And often when a repair is needed, a very quick repair is done within a week. That would be considered extremely quick in ambulance run. Normally it's weeks, if not months before pumps get fixed. And, and that's one of the huge factors that we've said the life pump, it can run for six years with very little maintenance. You continue to provide that water and it gives people the assurance the water is on tomorrow, that they can go and, and there'll be water for their garden. And so they'll actually plant a garden because they have the assurance that there'll be water available. They'll keep their kids in school because they know they don't have to pull their kids out to go fetch water. The kids are a lot safer, the women are safer, and they're spending that time that they normally would have collected water for hours and hours a day. They're spending that time being productive with uh, building infrastructure. We've seen entire communities transformed with new buildings, with latrines, with new schools, new kitchen eating areas at schools. It's, it's just been amazing seeing that. And, and as we go on, our, our goal is to see these pumps running for 30 years with very little maintenance. And, and the key is, and this is part of our, our, our recipe, is that we've learned that the upfront cost um, is not as big of a factor in sustainability as the operations and maintenance cost. And often pumps are put in um, at, at a donor's expense. And, and this, could, this could range from somewhere from 10 to 15 to $20,000 per water project, depending on location in the world and depth and so forth. And only a very, very small part of that is actually the hardware. And, and we've come to realize that for a little bit more money using high quality materials, a better design, that the operations and maintenance cost, which is usually paid for by the community, is, is a fraction, like 20% of the actual cost, which means it's much easier for them to afford to keep the pump running. And that's one of the keys, is understanding the users, understanding how they think and, and why they decide to do what they do, so that we can come alongside and partner with communities and create such an impact. Um, and it's our desire to see many more communities that have this reliable water, but I should also mention 
Um, and in places like Malawi, there's been a lot of research done on seasonal boreholes, which means um, during the dry season, the water drops below where the pump is set. And so for, for up to three months a year, there's literally thousands, up to seven or 8,000 pumps or, or water sites that are dry because the water's dropped below where the pump is set. And, and that means that people don't have water. They're, they're going back to a pond or a river or some other water source. They're not able to grow a garden in many cases because they can't carry enough water. So it, 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 really, um, it really hurts development. It really hurts impact. And, and so our objective is to provide year-round water. And by going three times deeper with the life pump, that means that there's a much higher chance of hitting year-round water. And we've seen that now that there's been boreholes that um, have gone dry are now providing water all year simply because we can go deeper. So, so that's um, that's kind of what needs to happen. Uh, yeah. And in many cases, the the wells are just not dug deep enough simply because the drillers know that that the pump technology doesn't exist to go deeper until we've come along and solved this problem. And and now it's a matter of of scaling the solution so that the drillers are aware of the greater depth capacity. And and it's also going back to the status quo issue which is a desire to provide water year round and, and do that at, at the cost that's necessary versus saying it's good enough that they have, that they, that they have water nine months a year. It's, it's a desire to change that mentality. That's, that, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, it really speaks to some of the same issues that we have in a lot of social impact work. It's, uh, again, as we said at the beginning, we're trying to change people's minds. We've talked about your approach to leadership, your challenges and realities. We've heard about your leadership journey and present passion. As we close our session, do you have any final comments that you would like to make for those who may share some of the issues uh, you have? Or have something to say to the next generation of leaders? I think I would tell them to look at the biggest problems and to work on solutions that create lasting impact versus the Band-Aid solution and to persevere and to not give up and to continue pushing hard because people are worth it and we can be a voice for the voiceless. We can, we can show the world that change is possible and that we don't have to accept the status quo. And, and I think that with that in someone's heart and mind, that it would be amazing what we could do in our world today. And things like water, and there's many other issues along the same line, they're solvable problems. There's problems that we have in our world that are not solvable, at least not easily. Water, for instance, is a solvable problem. It's a matter of will, it's a matter of desire. It's a matter of, of putting some bright minds behind a big problem. And so I just encourage uh, young and old entrepreneurs, problem solvers, to look at the world and see what is the thing they're being called to do and go for it. Take the risk. It's worth every, every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears, every penny, just to even change one life. Poignant words uh, and, and well taken. 
Dr. Bixler, we want to thank you for giving us your time today and letting us uh, read your mind. You are truly an innovative leader, and thank you for the opportunity to converse. And we look forward to um, uh, watching your impact as time goes on. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Plain Talk by Pragmatic Leaders. JR Global specializes in socially responsible business consulting. To learn more, visit jrglobal.co.